This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. So this evening at the Crown, Graham Jeffries returns to Dunedin for a performance. Uh, also on the card, Dick White and the Marcus Saffone Orchestra. Uh, Graham Jeffries, so we know from uh, an extensive history of music in this country, going back to nocturnal projections back from 1981 and moving ahead forward through this kind of punishment, Cake Kitchen and much more, an extensive solo career as well. And a, a relatively rare opportunity to see and speak with Graham today. Uh, Graham Morena, good to have you with us. Uh, thank you for having me here. Really nice to be back in Dunedin again. Always a pleasure to come down south. Twice in a year after having not seen you for some time. It was 25 years before I actually managed to make it down here. So all of that living outside of England, uh, outside of New Zealand and living in mainly Germany, Holland, France, those sort of places, all of that sort of got missed in a way. And there was only a chance to come back on a flight that got you into Auckland and there wasn't really enough assets to be able to, to come down there so it just worked out that way I mean the, but I've always kept an eye on what's going on in Dunedin and, and so I sort of have a soft spot for it I was quite honoured that the fact that I'd only lived here for five months I've sort of been treated like a, a Southlander in a way you know by the people that I know which I thought was really great considering really I'm actually from Taranaki I'm a, a North Island boy. Just to preface um and explain some of what you might hear over the next little while um, mm-hmm. when we talk about the Marcus Savone Orchestra on the card for Friday. That is Graham Jeffries as well. That's that's my secret be your own support act uh, to make it a, a three act kind of thing. And uh, during the lockdown, I uh, wanted to make a Marxophone or I wanted to play a Marxophone and there was no way of buying one because they've been deleted for 100 years. So I ended up actually making one, like working out how to make one. And it took a very long time to do. But once I'd made one, I sort of got addicted and I, I made another. Um, for those who don't have the benefit of sitting in the studio with me, what is a marxophone? It's kind of like a hammer dulcimer over a zither frame. So the, the, to make the marxophone, you have to make the hammers. So um, this one here has got hammers made out of brass, steel, wood and cork. And it's tuned to two octaves of white notes on a piano and no sharps and flats four chords, which means you C, F, G and A minor. So that's more or less the indie rock Bible, isn't it? You know, no black notes on the piano and four chords. Um, and you can play a lot of stuff on them. So for the Marxophone Orchestra, I've brought down the three Marxophones that I've made and I hop from one to the other playing sort of various songs on them. Um, it kind of works in a way because it's such a weird thing to do. And I don't think this instrument's been seen on stage for 100 years, probably. And you necessarily need to travel light, so you're making careful choices about what instruments you appear on stage with. Well, I'm, I'm afraid I've, I've actually not done so well on that. Like, I brought down seven instruments from Wellington and, and a car uh, and about 70 T-shirts as well. I printed a whole pile of T-shirts. And I had to load everything in and, and totally micromanage how to load it in to sort of get it down because I had to sleep in the back of the car uh, on the first night. I slept on the, by the sea on the coast. So it was like a packing job from hell. But I used to work for Rough Trade Germany as a CD record packer, so I've sort of got experience in that. And I've also sent all of my stuff around the world about six times, maybe three cubic metres of recording studio, packed on pallets and stuff. So I've got a, a square metre mentality. I mean, I'm looking at the studio here and I'm thinking, you know, over there. You, know, <laughs> you missed the logistics. Yeah, yeah. Just, just, Necessarily just necessity. So. Yeah, like yeah. Um, 
not because I'm particularly Einstein at it, but just because for, I've always done that. I've always moved around the world, moving everything that you need in the house from one place to another. It's about the same price as uh, one-way airfare. And it's great when you finally put it on the pallets, you're so sick of it that you just want to have a guitar and a bag. And when you get to another country, you've got about six weeks and it turns up, so you've got maybe six weeks to find a house. And then it's all delivered to you and you, have a, you think, look at all that stuff, man, look at all that stuff. But you, you need the same things. You need the stereo, you need the recording studio. I mean, things like plates and stuff, I, I don't take those, but it's just, just the basic things, you know. It's and, such, and an interesting, things, yeah. such an interesting time for you to be, you know, attempting this. Uh, uh, creatives all over the world f- finding it incredibly difficult to step out and, 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 and you know, make an income, do all the things it's that really they hard. It really is hard, want yeah. to do. I mean, it's always been difficult. Yeah. And you, your book um, – talks very extensively about your own experience yeah. of that. But right now, I mean, here's another chapter to the book, right? More or less, like I'm thinking about updating the book in a way. Or we had this one tour, Brett Jones and I did one German-Belgian tour before COVID hit, you know, before the days of masks and social distancing and stuff. And since then, everything has totally changed. So I'm thinking about that last tour, thinking, gee, that was a really fun tour. We never washed our hands once on the tour, probably, or only in beer and, and sweat, <laughs> you know. But now it's totally changed. I mean, it, it's a hard time for everything. The music industry is suffering really badly. So it's actually really exciting to be able to come down to Needham and play, even though we've got masks and social distancing and, and limited numbers and stuff like that. At least it's still possible to play now, and who knows how long that will last for, you know. There's been a lot of reflection lately. I mean, your own book... Um Time Flowing Backwards, the memoir published in 2018. Yeah. Uh, this year, uh, all the celebrations around Flying Nun's 40th anniversary. It's great that Flying Nun made 40 years. Mm. Yeah. Well, and here you are a living example of someone who uh, persists and is consistent um, and and wants to make music and be involved in that because you would have known and seen through that time many people come and fall away in, with music yeah or, or that their their lives involved other responsibilities that put music on the back burner and i can totally understand that i mean from my own perspective i don't have any uh, kids and although i'm with the same partner for the last 12 years we're not actually physically married you know we, we don't figure we need to do that so it was easier for me to do that than if i had had kids or it's been like a poverty lifestyle in a way. Like I don't own a house, and and um, and I'm glad that I really lived that choice. That I had the, the option to do it. I think now, if I had to choose that, it might be impossible to do that. So maybe I'm the last of these sort of hippie generations who I want to do what I want, man, and I'll pay the price. And in a way, you do. You know, you, you, you what you do and don't do always has a, a, a price to it. It's a terrible question to ask, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Yeah. Um, taking all of that into account, yeah. uh, uh, you know, are there are you happy and cons- with the choices yeah. you've made? Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't have it any other way, or I wouldn't. I'm, I'm totally happy with my life. I wouldn't swap a single moment. I mean, it would have been nice if I'd have generated a bit more money, but I'm not very good at generating money. I'm not that sort of orientated type person so probably even then I wouldn't have managed it but no I have no regrets at all I I feel really lucky to be able to have lived outside of New Zealand for 17 years in six different countries uh, and been able to do music there you know to to play in all these hundreds of different cities even places like Russia it ended up being possible to play which I never would have thought was possible I mean it, it seems like a dream life in a way and to some extent the poverty 
has actually been really good for, for keeping you on the straight and narrow. You can't get too much of a prima donna when you've only got one piece of toast and it's the last bit of coffee in the jar before you've run out, you know. And you've been able to consistently create and produce more material through that time yeah right? yeah it all feeds off each other like every door opens another door you know when you're, when you're a musician and you're a writer it should be that as you're writing along you just keep opening door after door after door and you walk through that into another room that has other possibilities and i think it's only when you get tunnel vision that you think oh i've done everything i need to do you know there's always some possibility it's like you know when you when you pick up the drums and start playing without thinking about it you'll start doing things with them you know it's only when you think oh I know all the drum rolls that I could do or I know all the accents that I could do. It's always the thing of, of like, um, swimming. It's like, you know, when you jump in the river and start swimming, it's always a new experience somehow, you know. I actually went for a swim in the harbour this morning uh, in the boat shed that I'm staying in. It was so lovely and warm and I was slightly hungover that I jumped into the bay this morning. It was great. Well done. Yeah. I didn't stay in too long, but I managed to get in. Um, the early part of your music life involved, you know, bands. Yeah. Um, bands have not been really a consistent um, part of your life since. Um, where are you with your thoughts around collaboration and why and how you get involved with other musicians? Um, I really love collaborating with people. Um, in Wellington, it doesn't seem to be quite so easy because it's a sort of it's, it's not like a Dunedin scene there. It's very uh, margin, not marginalised, but. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, each thing is in its little tiny, tiny place. You know, people in Dunedin would always be in three or four bands. There's always this sort of interrelational thing there that doesn't seem to be in Wellington. I guess it's more I can play all the instruments that I need to use. Some of them not particularly well, but enough to for my simple ideas on them. So I tend to just do everything myself because it's easier than keeping a band going and continually rehearsing material that you know it's kind of um, for me it's always the most inter- interesting thing is the next song and the next idea so there it tends to be easier just to do it yourself but I mean someone like Brett Jones who's been doing the drums for the, while I was living in Germany and, and also when I was living in Australia um, if I went back to Germany he would probably play drums again or Groucho Kangaroos another German drummer that I use so there's these people sort of dotted around the the world that um, are quite happy to to uh, contribute, and they usually other musicians who have other schedules. It means playing live as a band is harder because people's lives. But definitely doing recording or just sitting around and playing, um, there's always a, a whole pile of people that hop in and hop out of it. I guess for the records, I just tend to because I've got my own recording studio and I can keep recording um, new stuff. That tends to be what I'm the most interested in because it's the new ideas. Tell us more about the recording studio. You've made it possible for yourself to be able to move around and take that with you. Yeah, yeah. That the, it turned out Akai Professional uh, made this a 16 track about the size of a A3 ream of paper, and um, although you can only had had eight inputs on it, and it's only 16 track. That's enough for me to do what I want to do with it. I mean, the, the, the limitation of only having 16 tracks means you can't just keep dumping stuff on. You have to, the ideas have to be good at the start to build on. But it's a great limitation for me. And uh, I find that that medium is enough for me to just keep working on. You know, like um, it, it's a really old technology now, it's kind of like 1970s technology. But I've also got like really good microphones and really good preamps. And uh, everything that I have as a, as a studio packs down to about three cubic metres of instruments and gear. And it fits on pallets, and you can ship it from one country to the other for about the price of an airfare. 
one way. Having been so well travelled, um, your audience must, I guess, have also followed you in that respect, or mm-hmm. or you'll have pockets around the world. Not yeah, everyone there, there gets that opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, well, where are the hotspots? Uh, the hotspots are mainly in Germany, and I've done more German tours than any other country. Uh, Germans are great lovers of music. They 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 stand very attentively at the concerts and don't talk to each other. Or at least at, at gigs like mine. I mean, I suppose at heavy metal gigs they shout at each other, but. Um, there's a great love of art on the continent. As in France, is the same. Holland is the same, and and that, that that's great. They give you a lovely hotel, free food all night, free drinks all night. Take you out to a party at the end of the show, and if it, if you're playing in Cologne, Düsseldorf is only half an hour down the road, and it's another audience, you know. So it, it's actually much easier uh, to play in, inside the German Republic. And the money that you make is much better than anywhere else. I mean, everybody wants to play there, but the audience will come along and, and, and they will buy your records and stuff like that. They, they love buying Schallplatten, which is a German word for record. So in, in ways, by necessity, uh, finding out that those tours could usually make about, I don't know, 5,000 marks or two or 3,000 euro. The last one made about 3,200 euro after 14 shows, including covering all the instrument uh, expenses, and I bought an amp over there, which is still over there. I've still got a Fender Twin in Berlin. Um, Brett bought a drum kit. Uh, we had an incredible amount of fun. We, we nearly got killed a few times through just being Germany. But it, it's just kind of, as a circuit, I think that's the best I one I don't think do. you just leave it like just being Germany. What are the circumstances of nearly being killed in Germany? Uh, <laughs> you mean the, on the road? The, the autobahn, yeah. yeah. You, you're doing 220 down the autobahn. But you have to keep looking in the rear vision mirror because there's a truck that wants to do 250. So you speed up and do 250. There's another truck that wants to do 280. You know, like a, um, or sometimes the fans can kill you or want to kill you. You know, that they, they, you say something that offends them inadvertently, and so rather than love your music, they want to kill you and stop your music. You know, there's a whole pile of weird things that happen. And G- Germany is just a, a strange place, particularly Bavaria. Bavaria has got its own magic, and I really love Bavaria. But there's always something weird that happens there. You know? Just before we take an opportunity, you've got the marxophone with uh, you. Yeah, so before yeah. before we, we we perhaps hear a little oh, more from that, um, let's just contrast what you've just told us about your your experience of German audiences uh, and support with what you experience here. And don't pull any punches. Is it you know how does it compare? Um, I, I choose where I play really carefully here. Like say somewhere like the wine cellar, which is run by Ron Evans. It's a perfect gig. I mean, he's a great guy. It's a great PA. He mixes the sound. He gives you um, a tab on the bar. Uh, I really like that place for playing. So every time I play in Auckland, I always play there. Um, Dunedin, I really like The Crown. I think Jones does a really cool job keeping it going. And there's a real great public spirit for Dunedin for music. You know, there's always a, a good audience here. Not too sure about Christchurch. Wellington's fairly abysmal in some ways. It's, it's kind of... Or somewhere that's the capital, it seems to be more movie-based than music-based. Always mm-hmm. lack of venues and, to some extent, lack of audience. You know, like I don't know why that is. Interesting. I mentioned the marxophone. You've got it in front of you, uh-huh. Graham. It'd be a shame not to get a little bit of a taste of how you use it. Okay. How people might expect um, to enjoy it on Friday now t- tonight. Okay. Let's let's, let's try um, a cover just so we don't have to worry about one of my songs. We can we have a song that everybody knows. So this is more or less what you can do with the marxophone if you have the mind to. 
Jeffrey's live here in the awesome morning show studio, uh, or should I say the Mark's Phone Orchestra, because that's how you'll uh, hear that instrument as part of the set. Well, look, I'm so conscious that we've got so little time, Graham, so let's talk about tonight, let's talk about okay. the gig. Um, what's your approach to how you've put this together, and tell us about um, Dick's contribution as well. Okay, so the evening will be 45 minutes set from the Mark's Phone Orchestra, which is like three Mark's Phones up on stage playing various songs, then Dick's going to do a set. Now, his set is totally different from his previous stuff. Previously, he used to play guitar and sing, but this time he's doing it all by keyboards and laptop, and he's going to play a totally new set, the first time ever. Um, kind of nervous about it. We've both been a little bit nervous about the fact that both of our opening acts have never been tried before, but it makes it really exciting. So... Um, from being a totally 100-year-old organic instrument with no electronics or auto-tune, his stuff involves pretty much the other way. And then for my set after that, I'm playing um, electric guitar, acoustic guitar, electric piano, electric cello, and also a dulcimer as well, So, um, and nothing pre-recorded. So it'll be like a, an interesting sort of juxtaposition, but I'm sure it will be a great evening. And... Um, even with the masks and the social distancing and all the other things that we do, it's still great to be able to come down here and play. So 
I'm sure it'll be a fun evening. It's fantastic to have you in the city. Don't forget so um, to, to get along there tonight. Best thing you can do right now is to go onto Under the Radar and get your tickets for tonight, and then you can secure your spot for this, we'll say relatively rare opportunity, to catch Graham Jeffries in performance. Uh, Graham, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Um, oh, you're very welcome. You've brought with you uh, another track. I'll let you introduce it. Okay, this is a song called Canary in a Coal Mine. It's off the album that I've just finished. We're trying to work out a way to get it pressed up on vinyl, but we have a lot of issues with the pressing plants not being able to deliver very, very quickly. So we're kind of like trying to sort that out. But this is like a pre-taster for what it, what it will be. Um, it, it, the song involves like using the marxophone and also strings and stuff like cellos and violas and things. So it's kind of... Um, that seems to be where things are moving at the moment. I really like the idea of using orchestral instruments and and zithers and microphone, uh, microphones and things. You know, like as well as with guitars and things. It's kind of um, uh, there's about three songs like that on the album. Some of them are instrumental as well, where I've taken the vocals out. Sometimes I think, do I really need to have this mumbly bumbly vocal in there? Perhaps <laughs> I should take that out. You know, or write a set of words for it and then mute them and listen to it without the words and think, oh. Maybe it doesn't really need a set of words, you know. It's kind of it's quite a, quite good to take the vocals out sometimes. Oh, well, we're fortunate to have uh, an exclusive then here on uh, ORFM. Uh, Graham, go well, enjoy the gig tonight. Thanks. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air.